true, God, that you are in control and that you reign in this world. Let us remember that as we give our offerings sacrificially, as we take communion to remember the sacrifice of your son, and as we hear your word today, God. Help us be refreshed. Help us be reminded that you are still God and you have us in your hands. We pray all of this in your holy name. Amen. At this time, we will now take communion together and then give our offerings.
beginning a new sermon series today entitled Kingdom Life. You see, Jesus came to earth to establish his kingdom. And it's not just a kingdom that is reserved for something in the future. It is a kingdom for here and now. You read through the the Gospels and you see that the kingdom is described as a here and now kingdom. But yet there is a part of the kingdom that is still to come. You see, we won't fully realize the completed kingdom until Jesus returns and puts everything back into order. But the kingdom of God is a kingdom where we as Christians, we as people who follow Christ, are a part of. We are a part of this kingdom that Jesus came to establish. And if we are a part of this kingdom, we need to know how to conduct life within this kingdom. We need to understand how we should live out our life in the kingdom. The good thing about this is that Jesus tells us exactly how to do this. He tells us exactly how we should conduct ourselves in the kingdom of God. The hard part is it doesn't always make sense to us. See, the way Jesus describes the kingdom sometimes goes against what we think and how we feel life should be conducted. We, we, we think, we feel that life should be conducted this way, but Jesus says, no, I tell you life should be conducted this way. And so sometimes it's conflicting to how we think and how we feel. That's the hard thing about this. But Jesus does give us clear instructions on how life should be lived out within the kingdom. And so that is our sermon series for the upcoming weeks, Kingdom Life. Now, I'm glad you are here this morning. I'm glad you braved the storm to be here this morning with us. Because you're going to hear the best sermon ever preached. It's found in Matthew 5 through 7. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you didn't think I was going to preach the best sermon you ever heard, did you? Jesus preached this sermon. And Jesus tells us what life should look like for those living in his kingdom. He shows us how we should live life. So we're going to spend the upcoming weeks looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is a beloved passage, and it's been beloved throughout all of history. It has also been criticized. It has been called offensive. It has been called a standard that no one can live up to. The Sermon on the Mount has been studied and scrutinized throughout history. It has been interpreted in so many different ways. One scholar had counted that it has been interpreted up to 36 different ways. Even unbelievers usually have something to say about the content of the Sermon on the Mount. Some like it, some don't. What I'm trying to get at is the Sermon on the Mount is a text that gets a lot of attention. And and what is thought about that text is across the board. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at this text. Now actually we could spend, I counted up, we could spend a half a year in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. 26 sermons. We're going to take four weeks. (laughs) So we're only going to scratch the surface. Now I realize The way the preaching schedule is falling in this last year of of leading up to the transition, um, we're only preaching in four-week 
series. And so um, I feel like you're getting shortchanged a little bit. So just hang in there. Maybe a year or two from now we'll come back and revisit some of this stuff and dig in deeper. But it's just like the series I preached um, recently on um, the minor prophets. There are 12 minor prophets. I preached on four. We could have gone eight more weeks. Now, I'm glad we didn't, aren't you? <laughs> it was kind of rough, wasn't it? Um, I was glad that it was over. But the same is true with Sermon on the Mount. There's just a lot of information, and so we're only going to scratch the surface. Now, I've divided this up into sections that I hope will help you understand and grasp what Jesus is getting at when he talks about life and the kingdom. Sermon on the Mount came along not too long after Jesus started his ministry. Jesus had already chosen the 12 disciples. He would already started performing miracles. He was already beginning to become known in the area, and crowds were beginning to follow. But shortly after Jesus starts his ministry, he preaches this sermon. And Jesus sees a crowd beginning to gather, and he decides to go up on the side of a hill and take his disciples to have a moment with them. He begins to teach them. And as you read the Gospels, you see that sometimes when Jesus addresses the crowd, he addresses the whole multitude, the whole crowd. But sometimes when you read stories about Jesus in the Gospel, you see that he's talking to a select group of people, and there's a crowd just listening in. And that's what's happening here in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is actually teaching his 12 disciples, but the crowd is leaning in. They're listening. And Jesus doesn't mind. He wants them to hear it too. You see, this message isn't just for the 12. It's for all those who call, who, um, call themselves followers of Jesus. And so let's look together at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. This is commonly known as the Beatitudes. Now, that's a word we don't use very often. Um, some of us may not even know what that means. Beatitude is, the, is from the Latin word that means blessed or blessed. And so we're talking about the blessed life this morning, those who are blessed. And so Beatitude is just the Latin, uh, from the Latin word for blessed. Uh, let's start reading in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to be reading from the NIV, and it will be up on the screen if you'd like to follow. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus opens up this message with the word blessed. And I'm sure that just drew everyone's attention in. You see, we all want to be blessed. It's a desire that we all long for. We want to be blessed. We want to know if there's anything we can do in this life to help us be blessed. And Jesus says, blessed. So I'm sure 
see the first way of life in the kingdom is a blessed life. Now we use this word blessed a lot today in our environment, in our world. Sometimes we maybe use it too much. Maybe this week as you were out gathering hurricane supplies, you pulled into the parking lot of Walmart and you're deciding which lane to go down. And you choose a lane and wouldn't you know it, right when you get to the front of the store, someone backs out and you get a parking spot right up front. You're like, hashtag blessed, right? Now, I choose the wrong lane. I always choose the lane where someone pulls through and goes the wrong way or where people are walking in the middle of the lane too slow and they don't get out of your way. The lane called chaos is the lane I pick. It's not hashtag blessed. It's more like hashtag cursed. Some of you might be able to identify. We use this term blessed a little too much. Fortunately, it looks like Hurricane Dorian is going to stay off the coast. We don't know that yet. But um, maybe not cause as much damage as, as we thought, as we first heard two weeks ago. It seems like it's been that long. And we are blessed. But are we really? What about the people in the Bahamas right now? Are they not blessed? What about the people in the Carolinas that it seems like might get hit a little worse than us? Are, are they not blessed? You see, I was never more aware of the overuse of this word than when I was in Joplin, Missouri, just a couple days after the F5 tornado went through in 2011. Now, some of you may not know, but my, my parents and my sister live in Joplin, Missouri. My dad was in a building that took a direct hit from that tornado. Three people died in that building. My father survived. The only thing that, that my family lost in that tornado was a vehicle. It was completely demolished. And there's a sense of blessing. And, and we, were, we were on the streets of Joplin just a couple days after that storm, and we heard story after story of, of loss and of survival. And we heard time after time, oh, we're so blessed. We're so blessed. And I suppose, and I, I want to show some grace to those people because I'm sure it's hard to communicate actually what you're feeling just a few days after something like that. But I wonder how those words sound. Oh, I'm blessed. I wonder how those words sound to the, the person, to the mother who lost her child in that storm. What's that communicate to her? Like I said, I mean, there is a sense of blessing and survival. I get that. And maybe there's no other word to put to that. So like I said, I don't want to beat them up. But, but I think it just shows how much we associate being blessed with our current circumstance. When things seem to work out, we feel blessed. But what happens when things don't work out? We tend to associate being blessed with our current circumstance I'm telling you, we're blessed because the storm stayed away, but we would still be blessed if that thing went right over us. When, when things are going really good and everything is working out, we, we say we're blessed, and I don't necessarily think that's healthy because our circumstances can change drastically in an instant. 
some of you know that. You see, being blessed is more of a mindset than it is a physical circumstance. And Jesus gets at this in the beginning of his sermon. He says, things in my kingdom are different than the way the world looks at things. He begins with the word blessed, but what comes next might have surprised his his audience. It, It sometimes surprises us. The world would think those who have wealth, those who have something to offer, those who have power, those who have prestige, those are the ones who are blessed. And Jesus says, no, my kingdom is different. The types of people that Jesus described as blessed don't have anything to do with physical circumstance. Well, if they do, they're not favorable. He describes virtues. He describes behavior toward others. He describes people who are broken, people who are in need. He describes the oppressed and the persecuted. Those are the ones who are blessed in God's kingdom. You see, being blessed by the world's standards is something completely different. God's kingdom is different. Jesus reveals this at this time. Now let's look at those who Jesus described as blessed. Now there's nine of these. I'm not giving you a nine-point sermon. You probably see that by the back of your bulletin. I am going to briefly talk about each of these, and at the end we'll have one takeaway for us today. Hopefully, we will gain some understanding of what Jesus is talking about, those who are blessed. Some of these can seem confusing. They don't seem to make a lot of sense. But hopefully after this, we can have a better understanding. The first blessed person Jesus describes is the poor in spirit. Now this person is the one who realized just how spiritually bankrupt they really are. Poor in spirit means that you have nothing to offer God. You have nothing to to bring to the table. You stand before God and you say, God, I I don't have anything. God says, that's fine. I got you. Poor in spirit means that you have nothing to bring to the table. Again, remember, Jesus is, is laying out his kingdom and it looks very different than the world. The world would say that you are blessed if you have something to contribute, if you have something to offer you have something to add, Jesus is saying, no, if you have nothing, if you have nothing to offer, you are in a good place. You're blessed. Imagine how this would have sounded to that audience that Jesus is talking to. Many of them have nothing physically, emotionally, spiritually. They literally had nothing. Many of them were oppressed. They were outcasts. Many of them have been overlooked. And Jesus says, yours is the kingdom. Imagine how how that must have felt for them. How bankrupt are you before God? You realize you have nothing to offer, yet yours is the kingdom. Next, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And this is kind of weird to us. We look at mourning and we think, do we have to go around being sad all the time and crying all the time? And it's not, it doesn't sound that fun. We read this and we, we think we just have to be sad. Why would those who mourn be blessed? I think it depends on what you're mourning for. 
if you're mourning for something that you lost physically, materialistically, there's no hope in that. But if you mourn because of your sin, if you mourn because you let God down, if you mourn because you know there are millions of lost people throughout the world, if you mourn because you know there's people in our community that are suffering, one scholar describes mourning as not only a state of being sad, but a, a state of great concern. How concerned are you about these things? How concerned are you about letting God down? You'll be blessed because God will comfort you. Next, Jesus says, you're blessed if you're meek. Now again, meekness is sometimes equated as weakness, and that's not the case. A meek person is actually a humble person, a gentle person, non-aggressive. A meek person could actually be a really strong person, but just is under control, having restraint, surrendering to the will of God. In the world in which Jesus is living and speaking, a person like this would not have been valued. The same is true in our world. Meekness is not on the top of qualities that you look for to get ahead in this world. Jesus is saying, though, you may not receive anything in this world, but in my kingdom, you will inherit the earth because you are blessed. Next, blessed those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, and, and I simply just ask, what do you long for? What are you trying to fill your life with? What do you hunger for? What do you thirst for? Is it righteousness? Is it Jesus? If it is, then you will be filled. And that's a blessing. But people are hungry and thirsty, and they're trying to satisfy that hunger and thirst with all the wrong things. And they will never be satisfied. Sure, they might be, be satisfied in the moment, but it never lasts. What are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for? Now, I know that you've probably been stocking up on hurricane supplies like the rest of us. You know, you already have five cases of water at home, but you're in public, so you see they have water, so you're like, oh, I'll buy another one just because it's there, right? I saw, I saw a meme the other day that said, you all live on three sodas a day, but when a hurricane comes, you need 40 cases of water. <laughs> Isn't that true? We know that soda does not satisfy thirst. You need something better, more real. People are out there trying to satisfy their hunger and their thirst with all the wrong things. They're longing for love. They're trying to satisfy that, that thirst and that hunger with sexual immorality and pornography. They're, they're hungry to be accepted and they're, they're staying in relationships that are harmful. They're longing to be a part of something and so they sacrifice their morals and their ethics to be a part of a group. They're hunger and thirsting for something, but they're feeling it, and they'll never be filled up. The only thing that will satisfy you in this life is Jesus. That's the only thing that will fill you up. Nothing else. You can try to satisfy your need for love and acceptance and purpose and meaning and all kinds of different ways, but the only way to be filled is with Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. You consume me, you eat me, you drink me, you will never go thirsty again. You'll never be hungry again. 
You'll be blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Next, blessed are those who show mercy. Mercy has this connotation of generosity with it. One who is generous with forgiveness. One who is generous with compassion. We have been blessed so much by Jesus. We see we have been forgiven. Jesus has taken our sins away and and he holds those against us no longer. He has shown us mercy. That's a huge blessing. It's a huge blessing. Now he says you extend that mercy to others. You will be blessed if you are merciful. Now this may be a struggle for you. How easy is it for you to show someone mercy? Do you hold a grudge? Do you hold on to a hurt instead of forgiving? We need to be generous with mercy, especially in our family, our church family here. We need to be generous with mercy. There are times when someone may let you down in this church family. There's there's a time coming probably when I will let you down. And it's not on purpose. I just ask that you would show me a little mercy. And if you let me down, I'll, I'll show you a little mercy. But we need to take that throughout, not even in our church family, but throughout the world that we live in. Next is the pure in heart. Now, purity means not contaminated. And so, so we ask, how do we, how do we become pure at heart? Well, the only way is through Jesus. Jesus takes all the contamination out of our heart. Blessed are you because Jesus has made you clean and pure. And if you have a pure heart, it says, you will see God. Now, the only way to come into the presence of God is to be pure and holy. We, we actually sing a song that's based on Psalm 24. It says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? It's saying, who can come into the presence of God? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. The only way to be pure of heart is through Jesus. We only have just a few more. Hang with me. Next, we have peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We live in a time where people get so angry so easily, right? People get offended so easily. <laughs> Defenses are constantly up. We live in a time where people get angry about every little thing. People actually go on social media just to get in arguments, to start something, to get people riled up. We turn the news on and we realize they're not sowing unity. They're trying to divide us. We live in a political climate where there are definite sides and no one wants to work together. And it doesn't matter which side you're on. The other side is dumb. They don't get it. And they're at this battle trying to win. We live in a climate where people get angry with others so easily, maybe even driving down the road. Can we just be nice? <laughs> Can we practice making peace? It's what life in the kingdom looks like. You will be blessed if you try to make peace. 
Next, Jesus says you'll be blessed if you're persecuted because of righteousness. And there's, this is a little different than the other ones that Jesus said because this, this actually hurts a little bit. We don't really fully understand what persecution is here in America. We're very blessed with the Christian liberties that we have. I, I, I too, kind of didn't get it until I stood face to face with a man in India who was suffering persecution, real persecution. Christians throughout all of history has understood this. Christianity, Christians are the most persecuted group in the world. And you, you, you wonder, how is there blessing in that? There might be coming a day when, when we do lose some of our religious liberties here in America. I don't know. But, but it's possible. But I do know this, we will be blessed because of it. And, and like I said, you might be wondering, where is the blessing in all this? It's because we get to share in the suffering of Christ. We get an eternal reward. That suffering, that persecution that we, we may endure here on earth is only temporary. We get a reward in eternity that lasts forever. It says, you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And finally, the last blessed group of people are those who are insulted and talk falsely about. And if people insult you and talk bad about you because you're a jerk, that's on you. All right? You get what you deserve. But if you are insulted, if people talk badly about you because of Jesus, you will be blessed. You should rejoice. It says, great is your reward in heaven. The things that you are experiencing are the same things that Jesus experienced. They're the same things the prophets of the old experienced. You are in great company. You will be blessed. So we have these nine different groups of people who Jesus says are blessed. And, and like I said, it's different than what we thought. It's different than what the world would, would establish. When we look at these nine things, we wonder where we might fit in. Because it doesn't seem to, to match what we think it should be. Some of these things may come easy to you. Some of them may be far off. Maybe we do need to work on some of these things, these standards of life. We may need to strive to reach these ideals and these standards, but we need to be careful. Because this is where people get hung up. We, see, we don't strive for these things in order to receive a blessing. We strive for these things because blessed. We strive for these things because because of our love and devotion to God who has blessed us so greatly. The Sermon on the Mount is, is not just some high ideal or standard for us to reach. We can't reach it completely. But something we strive for because God has demonstrated these things to us. We show mercy because He has shown us mercy. We forgive others because He first forgave us. We love our enemies because He loved us while we were His enemy. We all want to be blessed. It's something we all want in our life. We don't do these things just to try to get that blessing. And this brings us right to our takeaway today. The blessed life is not about us living up to a standard in order to be rewarded. 
The blessed life is all about God's grace and acceptance. The blessed life is not about us living up to a standard in order to be rewarded. The blessed life is all about God's grace and acceptance. Let me say it this way. We are not blessed because of anything we have done. We are blessed because of what God has done. And that's why we are blessed. And in return, we strive for these things. We try to reach these ideals. That's the kingdom life. And when you surrender your life to Jesus, you join this kingdom. You are a part of it. One aspect of kingdom life is the blessed life. We are so blessed. We look at these blessings. We are accepted into a family. We are called the children of God. We receive an inheritance, not just some plot of land, but the whole earth. Our reward is great in eternity. We will be comforted. We will be shown mercy. We are truly blessed. And Jesus accepts the poor in spirit. He accepts the meek. He accepts those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for Him. He accepts those who show mercy. He accepts the pure in heart. He accepts the peacemakers and those who are persecuted. He accepts those who are insulted and talk badly about because of Him. He welcomes these types of people into His kingdom and they will be blessed. And that is good news because we are those people. So I can stand here this morning and truly say to you, be blessed. Let's stand. Pray. Father, we come to you this morning with gratitude. We are thankful for you being a God who accepts people like us into your kingdom. We are thankful for the many blessings that you give us. And Father, sometimes we equate those with material things and with circumstances. But Father, I pray that we can look beyond those things and see how you have blessed us tremendously. Because you have saved us, you have forgiven us, and you have an inheritance awaiting us. Father, I pray for those this morning who are not part of your kingdom. I pray your kingdom and your way of life is attractive to them because it looks so different than, than what they've been living in this world. I pray you continue to draw them in to you. Father, I pray for those who are a part of your kingdom, for those who are trying to live a life that honors you. I pray, Lord, that you bless them. And I pray, Lord, that if there's something in their life that needs to be adjusted, I pray that you point that out to them gently. Thank you, Jesus forgiving us, for dying for us, taking our punishment on the cross. We pray these things in his name.